Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Drabblecast, episode 263. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. On this week's show, dating, courtship, and locking that special person down. Paul, you've been out of your room. No, I haven't. Paul... My little ceramic penguin in the study always faces due south. It's a magical thing to be hobbled by Cupid's sledge. Amy. God's sake! It's for the best. Amy, please! Almost done. Just one more. Ever since the mitosis of Adam in the Garden of Eden... Oh... No. You have got to be kidding. Men and women have always found some basis for desiring one another's company. Men, for example, are good at tasting things that their wives are pretty sure are going bad. Just so he can say, yeah, they're bad. Women are good at being cold, regardless of the season. And also buying things at Target. And then taking things back to Target. Women fall in love by what they hear, and men fall in love by what they see. That's why women wear makeup, and most men lie. Soulmate. Sounds like something Satan would put in his coffee. It rubs the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. Okay. (laughs) Girls love lotion. But relationships come in all shapes and sizes, don't they, folks? Straight couples, gay couples, whatever. Just stop showing me pictures of your cats. Oh, look at them, laying in a different arrangement on top of something else. Ah, I'd rather lick the jelly-flavored phone receiver in that phone booth behind Walgreens. Show me more. Oh, that's another good one. Oh, but I gotta run, I gotta... Return some stuff to Target. Oh, and it's Drapple time. Drapple. Drapples are stories using only 100 words. Send yours into submissions at drapplecast.org. You might end up right here on the show. This week's 100-word story comes to us from forum member and up-and-coming microfiction superstar Phineas QP, and it's called My Wife, the Star.
Henry came home to find his house a smoldering wreck. Panicked, he called for his wife and found her standing in the charred remains of the living room. Shirley, what? An unearthly voice thundered from her somehow luminous body, making Henry quake. Silence. Your mate is dead. This physical form now houses the living energies of Sirius, a star light years from your own. Long eons have I searched for a suitable host and have decided upon this body. But surely you can't be. The being instantly blasted Henry to smoking ash. I am Sirius. And don't call me Shirley. Whop, whop, indeed. But really, what's in a name? Aside from letters that make sounds and stuff. Anyways, not everyone's a good match, it would seem. And that leads us right into this week's story, Betty Flesh and the Meat Man by Damon Shaw. Damon's been published in Daily Science Fiction, Bull Spec, Flash Fiction Online, and AE, amongst other places. He's a writer, designer, and woodworker who sells his wooden inventions to the endless stream of passing tourists on the Spanish island of Lanzarote. He's occasionally visited by plagues of Saharan locusts, swarms of jellyfish, and sunburnt hordes of zombie holidaymakers. He's been known to perform as a puppeteer and to design and build theater sets. He can be followed at damonshaw.livejournal.com. So without further ado, we bring you Betty Flesh and the Meat Man by Damon Shaw. Your suitor's here. Ma Flesh hurried into the back room of the butcher's shop. Are you presentable? Betty waited there amongst the swinging, marbled yellow cows. The wooden butcher's table squatted under her fingertips, solid as the earth. Knives glinted from the walls, each reflecting a tiny, seated Betty and the thin figure of Ma Flesh standing over her. Sit up straight, Ma snapped. And don't scratch. It could lead to tragedy. I mean it. I won't. Betty didn't dare ask why Ma was so against scratching. Her head itched, but she didn't lift her hand. Ma had cut off her hair to stop her being so floaty. She hoped the suitor liked short hair. If he was blind, he'd like it, she thought. She could lay her head in his lap, and he could tell her moods by the bumps on her skull. He could stroke behind her ears, let his fingers drift up her crown, slide down her neck. It isn't Saturday, Ma rapped on Betty's head with the back of her shining metal hook. No going floaty today, girl. No, Ma. Ma only allowed Betty to be floaty on Saturdays. Then Betty wrote poetry, rescued injured animals, and saw tragic sorrow in the silhouettes of trees. The rest of the week, she prepared meat. Briskets, chops, neck, rib, and tongue, bloody flecks under her fingernails, the iron smell of blood. 
Betty knew this was her future, but something inside slipped away to windswept headlands and moonlit waves whenever it could, and she went floaty. She did not know why. Maybe meat was not in her blood. He's the last suitor in town, hissed Ma. If he can't handle a knife, you'll have to knuckle down to the butcher's life yourself. No more going floaty, not even Saturdays. Ma! Floaty and cleavers don't mix, said Ma, holding up her metal hook. I know. Betty looked from Ma's steady glare to the silver hook she wore over the stump of her left wrist. Was it possible that Ma had once gone floaty too? Cleaver in hand? Is that how you lost? No. Ma scratched her nose with the silver tip of her hook. No time to tell you now. Tell what? Ma? Shh, he's here. But... Ma raised one eyebrow. Betty? Betty looked down at her lap. After a second, the cold metal hook brushed her forehead like a kiss. I'll fetch him, Ma called back over her shoulder as she left the room. And don't scratch! The last suitor slipped into a chair on the other side of the table. Don't fidget or touch yourself or you'll be in trouble, warned Ma Flesh, standing behind him. I know what young men are like. Betty squirmed with embarrassment, but the suitor did not seem to mind. Never, ma'am, said Joshua Hemp. His dark eyes did not leave Betty's face. I'm almost too terrified to breathe. Hmm, said Ma. Ask him questions, girl. What are the four major cuts and the seven minor sections of a healthy bullock? She asked. I don't know, he answered. But I can learn. Ma snorted. What is the weight of a pig's heart? Asked Betty. Any heart would fly in your presence, said Joshua, and hence weigh nothing at all. Betty heard Ma's indrawn breath. She flushed. How would you maximize sales in a modern butcher's establishment? Joshua smiled. I would tell everyone you worked there. Well, that's it, said Ma. He knows nothing. It's the bloody apron for you, girl. Betty sighed. Ma was right. Joshua was not an asset to the flesh establishment. But he did have such a nice smile. Ma'am, if I may explain. He placed both hands flat on the table. My family are fishermen by trade. I knew it, said Ma. Could smell it on you. Out you go. I cannot return, said Joshua, his voice lowered. I... I'm afraid of the sea. <laughs> said Ma. So? Betty leaned forward to catch his next words. At that moment, the table shifted under her. To her horror, she fell down past his collar and inside his shirt. The wall of his chest slid upwards. She tumbled past his nipples, ending hammocked in a fold of cotton at his waist. On one side, the shirt rose in shadowed swaths. In the other, his belt clenched the material against his stomach. Betty gasped and floundered. What was happening? She had twisted her ankle on landing, and the pain told her it wasn't a dream. Was she floaty? No, floaty was in her head, and this was terrifyingly real. 
She had a sudden image of climbing to freedom using the dark hairs that fanned across the bulk of his chest, and she clapped her hands over her mouth to stifle a giggle. Or was it a sob? His musky warmth left her reeling. She moved to the nearest button and pulled apart his shirt. There, miles away across the wooden tabletop, her enormous body loomed, still dusky with blushes. In the far distance, Ma watched from the knife rack. Had she noticed? Had Joshua? Betty drew back as he took a slow breath. His heartbeat shook the fabric around her. Please, ma'am, he said. I am quick and strong. You would not be sorry. Well, I'm done here, said Ma, ignoring him. Any last thoughts, Betty? In her fold of shirt, Betty panicked. She had to somehow keep him here long enough to escape his clothing. Um, does he have a driver's license? She was relieved to hear her own voice booming back across the table. Driver's license? said Ma. Well? I can handle a forklift, an ornithopter, a twenty-ton sloop. As Joshua recited the vehicles he could legally drive, Betty pulled herself up inside the shirt. She passed the sweep of his armpit. How could she possibly make it across the table and back to her own body? Down his sleeve? Perhaps she should try to get past his belt, down his trouser leg, and sneak under the table. She peered between her feet at the trail of hairs leading down his flat stomach into his trousers and had to stop swaying in a loop of frayed thread just below his collar. And a heavy lifting license for zeppelins up to 1,500 feet long, finished Joshua. Hmm, I'm grudgingly impressed, said Ma. Betty? Ah, the girl's gone floaty again. Betty spoke before Ma could wrap her head and find it empty. I'm not floaty, I'm... I'm... She couldn't say she was trapped above the right nipple of Joshua Hemp. I'm... thinking. Joshua leaned forward and Betty had to grab a button. I've watched you, Betty Flesh, he whispered. Whenever on shore, I bought sausages daily, though our family eats only fish. I would do anything to be your man. The words, amplified by his size, sent Betty floaty, just for a second. She returns from a hard day of composing sonnets on the moors to find him waiting, a plate of steaming black pudding warmed just for her. When she came to, she had fallen from her cloth perch, his warm stomach pressed against her face. His belt trapped her legs, and with every movement she slid further into the darkness of his trousers. She panicked. She heaved and kicked, knowing he must feel her struggles, but determined not to slip any lower. His body shifted. A shadow fell over the shirt. The dark weight of his fingers pressed her to his flesh. He would crush her. He would break her back. She opened her mouth to scream. No touching yourself, I said. There was a sound of metal on skull. Joshua yelped and his hand lifted away. Sorry, ma'am. Hormones, muttered Ma. Well, Betty, are you finished thinking? Yes, she said, still trapped by the belt against his hot belly. Tell him the rules of the house. That's serious, asked Ma. No other suitor got so far. Tell him. 
Ma humphed, but pointed out fire escapes, rules of conduct, and warning signs posted on the cold room walls. Betty heaved to free her legs. Above her, Joshua's navel sang a seashell song. She peered into its depths and saw a rough hempen rope just within reach. Betty slipped her hand into the warm hollow and pulled the rope. His belly button opened like a flower, and a purple antibacterial light flooded from inside him. Betty gaped. Joshua was made of meat. Shrink-wrapped packs of minced beef made his spine, Serrano hams his ribs, oven-ready turkeys pushed out the bulges of muscle under skin, hamburgers on shiny metal aisles led across the expanse of his hips, high-tension sausage cables shored up the entire structure. Joshua was perfect. Meat was in his blood. This was the man she would marry. Heaving on the rope, she pulled her legs out of his belt and retired shut his navel. Then, while Ma stressed the importance of cuticular hygiene, she darted through a gap in Joshua's shirt and onto his denimed thigh. She did not look at his crotch. Plenty of time for that when they were married. She ran along his leg, under the wooden table, slid in a friction hiss down his shins, and skidded across the shiny floor to her own cathedral-sized calves. Again, she used a gap in her blouse to gain entry. Inside her belly button, she found a silken cord. When she pulled it, the flesh opened, and a gust of salty air swept over her. She stood on the shore of a dark, gray sea. From hip to hip, waves slapped her insides, and from above, a sullen rain fell. She had hoped to find she was made of peacocks or works of literature. Instead, rain washed the white spars of her bones. Joshua was afraid of the sea. She shivered in the fresh wind. She slipped inside herself, tied off the cord, and began to climb her ribs. The porous bone provided a good grip, and she found she was glad of the rain. It washed away her doubts. Near her shoulder blades, the clouds parted, and a chain of rainbows sparkled down the intricate geometry of her spine. When she pushed through the mists, she found herself behind her eyes. Joshua stared at her with such a look of longing Thunder rumbled deep under her heart. Hello, she said. Is that a yes, then? Ma peered down at her. What was Ma made of behind those cold eyes, Betty wondered. It's a yes, she said. She reached to take Joshua's hand, but stopped. Something was wrong. His gaze slipped from her face to her collar. He looked vacant. Betty felt an ant-like itch, a scrabble of tiny limbs against her left breast. Unthinking, she raised her hand and scratched. No! shouted Ma. Fragile bones crunched under Betty's fingertips. A faint scream of air escaped Joshua's lips. His body jerked and stilled. Well, that's torn it said Ma. I told you not to scratch. 
Betty could not look away from Joshua's pale face, his clouding eyes. He slumped to the table. A thin trickle of blood ran from one nostril. Oh, Ma, she breathed. Oh, no. She shook the tiny, broken body from her blouse and laid it on the table next to the larger version of itself. What happened? Ma sighed. Shrinking, she said. She wouldn't catch Betty's eye. Dangerous. Happened to you? Betty nodded. You too? Ma coughed. She rubbed her nose with the back of her hook and shrugged, but didn't answer. Betty looked from the gleaming metal hook that jutted from Ma's sleeve to the bodies of Joshua, then back to Ma's face. Why? Why didn't you warn me, Ma? Ma looked at the floor. Thought you would never need to know, she said. Thought it would just make you more floaty. Anger flared red behind Betty's eyes. She took three deep breaths, blinked it clear, then when she was sure her voice would not shatter into pieces, asked, What will we do with the bodies? They found that the four major cuts were wholly applicable, but they had to make adjustments to three of the seven minor sections. Betty shrink-wrapped the pieces and minced anything too obviously human. Inside her, the rain fell and would not stop. When the shop display gleamed, tempting as ever, Ma opened up and let Betty rest. She sat in her bedroom. Rain streamed from her. She took a pencil and held a sheet of paper out from the drizzle. Dear Ma, she wrote, Don't look for me. The sea is in my blood. I'm going floaty. Love, Betty. Then she went downstairs, pinned the note to the butcher's table with a cleaver, slipped out the shop door into the current of the busy high street, and floated down, down, down to the shore. that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Nothing wrong with a little floatiness here and there, am I right? Just don't go pulling people's belly button strings. If you enjoyed this week's show, send a donation our way via the PayPal and credit card support options off our website, travelcast.org. Your support goes a long way and pays an author for a great story, so consider it a dollar well invested. Much appreciated on our end as well. All right, moving to our 100-character story winner this week, Drabblecast Foramite, uncreated, with this saucy little twabble here. She promised to show me her best trick that night in the bedroom. What a joke that was. She can't even guess the right card. One hundred character stories. Try writing one yourself. Post it in the Twabble section of our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. You might be next week's winner. 
Follow us on Twitter for the winners a bit early each week, amongst other things. We're at the Drabblecast. So that's our show, folks. Remember, Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our show. Blog about us. Tell a friend. Spread the weird. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Drabblecast art director, Bo Kyer. Check out his awesomeness at bokyer.com. So, our program is brought to you by myself, Nikki Drayden, managing editor, our submissions editor, Nathan Lee, editor at large, Matthew Bay, our art director, Bo Kyer, and with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, David Steffen, Jake Webb, and Jonathan McNeil. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you cleavers and floaty don't mix. I know. I'm looking down the hole, you're looking up at me. You're cold and tired, that is easy to see. Lower the rope to you, a bucket on the line. Your membrane will be soft and smooth, and your heart will be mine. It rubs an ocean on its skin.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.